So I am always wanting to ensure that like you can be nice, you can help another woman. This is not a popularity contest. Um, and I think it needs to start, you know, in elementary schools with girls, not just doing ballet, but like, can we be on soccer teams and learn how to work as a team? And that if there, if you don't feel there is two seats at the table, like damn it, drag another seat up and advocate for someone when they're not in the room. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So please welcome Rebecca Minkoff to this live episode of Skimmed from the Couch. Rebecca is the, yeah, we like noise. Thank you guys. Rebecca is the co-founder and creative director of Rebecca Minkoff LLC. She started the fashion brand in 2005 with her brother, and it wasn't long before her designs made headlines, starting with the morning after bag, which you might have in your closet. Over the years, their company has been a leader in shaping the future of fashion. Rebecca's team were some of the earliest to engage with their customers through social media and influencers. And I can't wait to hear more about this. They were the first to use drones on the runway. But she hasn't stopped there. In 2018, Rebecca launched the Female Founder Collective to support and invest in women-led businesses, which we are so excited to hear more about. I'm very excited that you launched. So let's get into it. I'm ready. Okay. First thing first, skim your resume for us. Oh, man. Um, babysitter, just earned enough money to buy um, when 90210 was on. They had the Barbie, the Barbie release of all the characters. So I babysat to earn... To earn that. Uh, then ice cream scooper, um, just to pay my gas money. And then I moved here actually when I was 18 to work for a designer. Um, I was a paid internship. I think it was $4 an hour. Um, I did that for about six months and then begged them to hire me. So I ended up becoming a designer there. His business is no longer around, but he had like, you know, what you move here for, a loft in Soho, a really nice, um, fast paced design business. And then three years in, I said, bye. Uh, the CEO politely fired me and said, go start your own company. You clearly are very passionate about it because you're doing it on my time. So, <laughs> so then I launched, uh, you know, just clothing in 2001 and had a struggling apparel business for about four years, did all kinds of shady work on the side to pay the bills and, um, launched with one handbag in 2005 and a the lot rest. of questions in there. First of all, what is shady work? Shady work is when you meet someone at Kinko's and they're like, I'm going to massage school. Oh my god! And I have to pay you to massage you. And I was like, "No, that's like a great wait, idea." Wait, yeah, no. <laughs> it was a hundred bucks, and I couldn't pay oh my, my rent, so I took the money. Were, and then you were a massage guinea pig. I was a massage guinea pig. Okay, yeah, that's shady. That's shady. Okay. <laughs> um, what's one thing that we can't find out about you from looking on LinkedIn? What gets glossed over? Um, well, these days I say like luxury is showering uh, with. Uh, baby wipes, you know, when like I have three kids, I work a lot and sometimes you don't get a shower. So you just do a little baby wipe, you know, rub down. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so in the skim of your resume, you obviously are starting to show a passion for fashion. Rebecca Minkoff LLC starts your boss at the time is like, okay, not on my time. 
how, what were you thinking about doing? Like what, what was the vision of, as you're starting to kind of put together, um, what ended up becoming the brand? So I was uh, trained, uh, I would say, in apparel design, not necessarily bags. So my focus at the time was I had a five-piece collection. I I made everything myself. Um, And so I was really passionate about having that clothing line. Um, I had a runway show on September 10th, 2001. Um, Woke up the next day and was like, well, that doesn't matter. Um, And I think what came out of it, fortunate or unfortunate, was a T-shirt I had sent to an actress uh, days before 9-11. That was an I Love New York shirt that I had cut up and bedazzled, if I'm going to date myself. Yes, we got a bedazzler, a former bedazzler fan in the room. <laughs> um, and so she wore the shirt on Jay Leno on September 13th. Um, and that really changed everything because she talked, you know, she said my name on TV. It ran in tons of magazines and I was just making that shirt for about nine months. So while no one really knew about the clothing, they knew my name, they knew I had a t-shirt and it opened a lot of doors for me to go literally knock and say, I have, I have, I have some clothing. Do you want to buy it? So that's kind of how it started. And you've built this business with your brother. Yes. What is that like? So initially I called my dad after the bag sold out. I had enough money left in my savings and from non-shady work um, (laughs) to do a first run of, I say, 12 bags. um, And Daily Candy wrote about it. And then they sold out of the store and I immediately got an order for 75. And I didn't have the wherewithal to do it, nor did I have a credit card. Um, I think my max at the time I was approved for was 500 bucks. So I called my dad and I said, okay, finally, your daughter's not a loser. I have an order for 75 pieces and there's a lot of heat behind this. And he said, no, but call your brother. So the initial phone call to my brother was like, hey, bud, can you loan me some money? Um, And so it did start out that way. And then as he began to see that there was a heat that wasn't just me behind the brand, um, the phone calls turned into coming up once a month. Um, Then it was, you know, five days a week. And eventually when we reached a certain size, I was like, this, I can't do this by myself. You got to move here. So, um, you know, we get along most of the time. We do fight. We go to couples therapy. Um, (laughs) Not lying. Uh, That's been really helpful because, you know, co-founders, it's not always easy and there's really stressful moments. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's perfect. All the time. Were there ground rules? So there weren't ground rules until we had our first huge fight where in which we called our dad and he's like, I love you very much, but you guys can't fight. <laughs> and then actually with this therapist that we see every, every few months, um, we lay down ground rules at the end of every two to three day session. Like these are the rules. Okay. You cannot yell at me over text. Cause that really bothers me. And he's like, you need to, I don't know, whatever his rules are for me. So <laughs> they don't matter. Don't <laughs> Wait, do you have other siblings? We have another brother. Uh, he is not in the business at all. Does he feel left out? No, not at all. He's like, thank God I'm not working with you guys. That, okay, I have a brother who I love more than anything. But when we are together, you know, a flashback and we're 12 and, and how old am I? And eight. And, you know, I'm like, you're a brat. He's like, don't be like that. I'm going to tell mom. I mean, like we revert back. Do you do that together? Yes. And do you do that in front of other people? No, we never do it in front of anybody. I mean, sometimes he'll make fun of me in front of people and it's fine. Like I'm, I have thick skin. Um, I think I had this feather 
number on. He's like, you look like Big Bird. And it was in front of a, a big room of people. And I was like, I kind of do. So, um, but I think we do revert, but we're, we've figured out how to professionalize it in a way that our staff don't see if we're disagreeing because we know that's important. And even during family Thanksgivings or whatever, if we are in the middle of World War III, um, you know, our family doesn't know because we don't want to bring that to the table. So we deal with it, you know, when we're alone and really it's, it's no one else's problem. Are you able to hang out and not talk about work when it's the two of you? Yeah. Yeah. We learned that from too many glances of our spouses over holiday dinners <laughs> being like, really? Yeah. This is what they're going to talk about all night? EBITDA? No. <laughs> okay. So we're going to transition a little bit. So we mentioned this at the beginning, but your career has been marked by taking risks, whether that's uh, being one of the first people or brands to really engage with their customers on social media or drones. Rebecca Minkoff as the brand is associated with pushing boundaries and breaking rules. Um, I want to talk about social media because that's been so big when people talk about your brand. What was the moment that you decided that was going to be a big strategy for you guys? I think it was the moment that um, I got a Google alert probably in 2006. uh, And there was this blog that had a forum talking about handbags only. And it was this rabid, beautiful fan base of women who had started threads about, you know, Rebecca Minkoff bags. And I made a login and I started talking to them. They didn't think I was me. I had to verify myself. And I began to see the power of just talking to my consumer, answering her questions. Um, And then uh, that became, they named themselves the Minkettes. Uh, I like to say they got us through the recession because they were early crowdsourcers. They'd say, bring back this color. I was like, if 20 of you say yes, I'll make it. Um, and we would get them to sign up and say yes. And I'd go to, you know, 38th Street where we made our bags and, you know, get, get put that order in. So I began to see that there was a power here. And then as platforms started evolving, you know, Facebook, Twitter, you know, my brother and I decided, you know, we can reach even more of our customer and we can hear them and we don't have that filter filter of the store or the magazine really being the go-between. And we just inherently knew there was a power in connecting with her Um, to our risk. You know, we had actual interventions as if we were on drugs from retailers, from magazines saying, don't talk to your customer. That's beneath you. Uh, You should be in your ivory tower and don't use influencers. Those are C-list and D-list celebrities. And we were like, that's weird. That seems crazy now. I know it seems crazy now, but then it was like, we were the outliers, right? We were like, Ooh, they're dirty. (laughs) They're using influencers. Like, were you blacklisted at all in the industry or were you thought of differently as a brand for using... I think in the beginning we were not blacklisted, but just people were like, ugh, them, you know, they're not cool. They're not, you know, the perfect uh, brand or they're not doing it right. Um, So it was really risky and scary at the time. Um, Someone pointed out to us probably two years ago that every time we've taken a risk, it's paid off. So why, why follow what the pack is doing? And once he sort of pointed out several examples of that, I was like, oh, let's just rip off the parachute and like jump over that cliff every time. Now, now I get joy in doing that. It's amazing to when we like hear, you know, what are the things that you took risks on that, you know, we can kind of laugh at today. It's like, of course you would try to tap into bloggers or influencers, you know, you using them on the runway, allowing their consumers to vote on what pieces that you're going to make. But at the time, when you think about that, how those ideas originated, where were they coming from? Is that you? Is that the magic of you and your brother together? Was that your team? Where, where does that 
those kind of black sheep ideas come from? I'd say it's a mix. You know, my brother had, you know, just like I might know that yellow is going to be a great color. You know, he knows inherently doing certain things technology wise are going to be game changers. So whether it was launching our first wearable or our, you know, in-store technology, those are all his brainchilds. Um, You know, when we had influencers on the runway back in 2017, you know, three days before the show, I was like, I'm not sure if we should do this. Like, yes, to use them, but are you sure they should be on the runway? Um, He's like, yes, we're going to do this. And I was like, okay, let's do it. You know, and that was a huge game changer. So I think that sometimes, you know, he can sense where things are going in a way that I now have learned to, but you know, he has that ability. Is there an example of where maybe he had an idea that wasn't such a good one? Yes. (laughs) I love this story. Um, (laughs) So probably very early on, he thought that we should have a screen during one of our fashion shows pre pre this fashion show that would be a, a live Twitter feed. So you could tweet from the audience and put the hashtag up and it would go onto the screen. You that remember this? That makes me so nervous. Yes. I'm just like having yes, butterflies. Yes, get nervous because yeah. we, we went there. Um, <laughs> so what happened was is the hashtag started trending, which allows for many people to spam unfortunate images oh to the projection because no one was actually, no one anticipated that the hashtag would start trending. So, you know, we have a packed house. I think we had, this is when we were doing really big fashion shows. We invited a ton of consumers. It was like 1,300 people. Um, and there are people showing nude body parts, um, just all kinds of things you don't want while you're waiting for your fashion show to start. And no one could get then the screen to get come down fast enough to like stop that from happening. So I looked at him, I was like, I am so glad this wasn't my idea. (laughs) That's a good one. How much of your decision-making and you and your, the company, so you and your brother, how much of the decision-making do you think is um, as a response to data and market trends that you're seeing early and pure just gut? I think it's both. We really want to be smart about the data. Um, You know, you'd be stupid to not look at what's selling, what people want. And then sometimes you have to make sure that you are going to put your best foot forward as a brand and do what's right for the brand. Um, So, you know, when we launched, we launched a campaign uh, last September called I Am Many, where it really celebrates the multifaceted, multidimensional nature of women, right? We're not just one thing. And so I think, you know, we knew if we leaned into it really hard, that might, you know, annoy customers who just come to our feed or our social for product. But we really wanted to really show women and sort of hit people over the head of like, this is a stance we're taking. This is who we want to celebrate and how. And so it's okay if the metrics aren't, you know, the most engagement ever, but you know, that you know that this is what the brand stands for. How do you guys balance um, trying these new initiatives with thinking about the core product? Um, And how do you think about budgets for things like that? So we'll always be willing to try. And I think because we've been early adopters of technology, uh, we do get a lot of inbound uh, offers uh, now to just try stuff. And I think, you know, we wouldn't be here without trying things. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. I think there's a lot of companies that are afraid to fail or be embarrassed if something doesn't work. Um, And we always know at the end of the day, obviously, yes, there's product that is what we're selling, but we also think that there is a connection we want our customer to have to the brand that's just as important as selling a product so that you identify with our brand values, um, you know, who the brand stands for and what we have to offer you beyond just the transactional quality of products. How do you bring your team along? Um, how do you get buy-in on kind of these 
either gut decisions or just kind of executive decisions that might seem that they go against the grain? So I think, you know, we have an executive team that probably uh, we've brought on because of their innovativeness or they're willing to experiment. And it is very much a democracy in that room. It's not just myself or my brother dictating what's going to happen. There is really a lot of what do you think and should we try this and okay, let's try it. If it doesn't work, we'll revisit. So there is a lot of that, um, which sometimes can slow down decision making. But we really want to make sure that if we've hired you, we we want to listen to you. So um, we've made mistakes through that. And we've also had really great successes with that. So you just have to know that it's okay uh, to try things and not be so rigid. Um, so one thing is you obviously, your story is incredible that you moved to New York when you were 18, started this up. There's so much that you've learned along the way. I think one thing that we are focusing on this January with our new year, smarter you campaign is thinking about what we've all learned around finances as we've grown up and gone through these different life stages. What's one thing looking back that you were like, Oh, that was a big moment for me learning about finances. So when I moved here, um, does anyone know where Islip Airport is? That's where I got to fly into because that was the cheaper ticket. Um, (laughs) um, My whole, uh, so when I moved here, I also had no place to live. So my friend let me shack, uh, not, I didn't check up with him, stay with him at his dorm room uh, at Fordham University. Then I moved to my cousin's uh, daughter's playroom and lived out of a suitcase for six months there. So I really, uh, you know, when I started out, it was like, I'm going to eat dinner at home so that I can go out and have water with my friends. So I really, like the value of money was not lost on me. And not having it was also something that was like, oh my gosh, will that ever change? Will I ever have to check my bank account before I leave the house to make sure I have enough money in it to do what I'm going to do today? So I think um, I credit an ex-boyfriend um, with forcing me probably when I didn't have the funds to, you know, start a savings account and forget the password, you know, and it was like, put in what you can. Is it $5 a month? Cool. Do that. Is it 10, 20, 30? And I think that that really, then one day I I was like, oh, there's a bank account there that I've been putting money into for 15 years. And I checked it and I was like, cool, that's, you know, that was worth it. So I think that just, um, you know, you see a lot, you know, if you're just starting out, you see these fantastical lives, but you don't know necessarily what's behind them or how hard someone had to work to get there. So to really just put your head down while you're also young and youthful and really work your ass off um, and start saving now because you never know. I don't know. You might want to look back in 15 years and see that you could buy a house from that or, you know, do a down payment on something. Let's take a quick break to talk about some of my health and wellness goals I have for 2019. I wouldn't say that was like the top thing I wanted to talk about. Well, I would like to talk about it because the first one I have is to stop being sick. If you can't see this, I'm trying to sit as far away from Danielle as possible. I'm very grossed out. Yes. Um, And it won't go away. And it's really annoying me. So one thing that might have helped me would be care of. It's a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. Two things I like, personalization and convenience. So take advantage of a special offer that we got for you because we like our listeners. For 50% off your very first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to takecareof.com and enter COUCH50. That is COUCH50 on takecareof.com. Is there a business skill set that you don't have yet that you are still working to to achieve? 
When I look at a spreadsheet with lots of percentages and a profit and loss statement, I'm literally, I just go, ooh, gosh, I'm going to go on to Net-A-Porter and do some shopping right now. <laughs> literally. Um, so you've talked a lot about taking risks. Yes. And now you're doing something totally new in yes. a way. Yes. Um, talk to us about Female Founder Collective. So I think when... I started out, or probably when you started out, the idea of a female founder, it's not like we all started and said, I'm a female founder and I'm going to start a business. It was just what we did. And then you begin to get asked, what's it like to be a female founder? And you begin to realize that there is a huge wasteland of women that are not female founders or women in C-suite positions. And then you go, oh my gosh, there needs to be more incredible examples of female founders and there needs to be more resources for them. Um, I was at a meeting last June with a company that I will not name, trying to work with just their female talent and they couldn't segment out who their female companies were and who there wasn't. So I began to think about with a colleague, what if they had a symbol? What if this company just had a symbol by every female founded company's name? And then I could just select off that roster. Um, and then I was like, wait, I shouldn't give this idea away. This should be something that exists so that when you turn over, you know, your uh, kombucha or you go onto a website and you see that it is female founded, you can support them. Um, a friend of mine who's the president of an advertising company uh, did a study and found that 82% of women are more likely to support female-founded companies if they only knew how. So, you know, from the shoes you wear to the food you go, you know, purchase, like how do you know and support that woman? So we launched the symbol back in September. We've had over 3,000 um, companies join and it's called Female Founder Collective. And so first and foremost, it is a symbol that will be on packaging, products, websites. It's already up on lots of places around the city. Um, and then it's also a collective. So for these female founders to connect, commiserate, help each other. Um, so we've had a lot of momentum. We just signed a partnership with Visa that we announced two days ago. Congratulations. Thank you. They're very committed to empowering female founders. So they're going to help with programming and education. And so you'll see more things launched um, as we go forward. We're so excited for you. And I think that something like this is a long time coming. How has this affected your day to day? So um, I would say that I had a baby uh, almost a year ago, almost a year ago. Um, and I have worked, I have three and I had worked through every maternity leave. And when I went uh, to go on leave, I was like, all right, so I'll come in on this day and this day, and this is how I'll take my calls. And my brother was like, you know what? Why don't you just go on a real leave? We'll hire a woman to do the day-to-day -day of the design and see what happens. And I was like, oh, that's scary. <laughs> oh, man, you know, who's going who's gonna to feel that fabric and, like, pick that Pantone color that only I can do? Um, <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I'm really tired, and I really want to just be with my baby and not worry about did I pick the right cotton or not. And so I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go on maternity leave. Um, and I left, and I said to her, I said, I don't, you know, she's been working in the company for the last three years, so it's not like I just handed the keys to someone who didn't know anything. <laughs> about the brand. Um, and I went on leave and I said, I don't want to know anything. You make the decisions. I just want to, you know, check out for a minute. It's been uh, 13 years. I think I deserve it. Um, so we did that and I got back, you know, after my, my leave and um, she was doing a fantastic job and you cannot, you know, start a podcast or, you know, you know, support and embrace the female founder collective. If I'm still worrying about the Pantone number and the thread count in this cotton. And so really letting her run with it and letting the team run with it. And obviously I still oversee the design, but it's allowed me to expand into new spaces and sometimes more important spaces. If, you know, another founder may 
makes it because of this collective versus, you know, the cotton being exactly right, I think it's okay. So I think that that's how the day-to-day has changed, but it's been uh, a blessing and really fun. A fun new challenge too. That's so exciting. And that sounds scary. Uh, (laughs) We talk about taking risks and letting go of control. Um, What what new skills has building this new collective brought to you? Um, You know, charting a new path and uncharted territory. Um, You know, I think when you go out, you set out to build a brand uh, for the last 13 years, that's all we think about every day and what's next. And it's about launching new categories and expanding into new countries. I think when you're starting a collective, um, there's 11 million women-owned businesses in the United States. So now I'm like, all right, how do we get to those 11 million women? Um, and we have 3,000 and that's a, that's a big number. And so, you know, trying to plan that uh, is definitely a new skill set I have to learn. How do you see the conversation around female founded companies changing? What do you guys hope to see from this? Uh, my metric for success would be, you know, there's a lot of worry and woe about women leaving C-suite positions or, you know, Fortune 50 companies um, at huge rates. And I think that's exciting because that means, you know, there's between 1,100 and 2,000, depending on where you look, women-owned businesses starting every day. So these women are leaving these corporations that are frankly not built for how we want to have our lives. And these women are leaving to go start their version of that. And so for me, if someone has success or starts a new company where the hours are 10 to 4 because that gives them time to see their kids or their dogs or whatever it makes them happy or has great maternity leave policies or has a majority of women, then that's really exciting because until we all start sort of creating the, the life and the work as we want it to be for us as women, it won't change. How do we, the audience and we, the listeners here, um, how do we cultivate this kind of new workforce and new work environments for women and also for women-led businesses? I think we did a lot of listening internally about what was important to people. And while they liked the, you know, the cocktail hours and the free lunches, they really wanted time off, you know? So we just tried to take in that into account and give them that where we could. Um, And then team building activities like workouts that we do with the team, you know, a few times a month. So I think it's just like, I sat down with my mothers and I was like, what do you guys want? And they, they gave me their huge wish list. And I came back and said, I can't do all that because then I would be out of business, but here's what we can do. So I think it's listening and then being honest about as a business owner, yes, I'd love to pay you when your nanny is sick and then you don't come into work. That'd be great. But I can't do that. If your nanny's sick, you got to figure it out. So I think it's just those lines of what's real um, and then an open dialogue about why. And when you say uh, that there are about 11 million female um, owned businesses, how do we support those? How do we make sure that they are the, the next success stories? I think where you can now seek out and Google, you know, when you're going to buy something or subscribe to something that it is a women-owned business, I'm hoping that by International Women's Day, you know, we're going to be publishing a database of all the 3,000 women plus that have joined of their businesses. So I keep calling it the Angie's List of female-founded companies. It'll be a directory of these businesses, and then you just know you can go and support them. But it's pretty you know, easy today to just do a little Google search, make sure it's woman owned and give them your money. Let's take a quick break to talk about an idea that Carly and I had when we started the company that we did not do. So we thought it would be a really good idea to create a mat to roll out on a 
street or sidewalk for you to step on to change your shoes. I'm grateful that we probably never actually chase down. But when you talk about things that you always dreamed of investing in, you know who could help you with that? Who? Swell. See what we did there? So Swell helps investors, both new and experienced, better understand where their money goes and how it grows. With Swell, you choose how every dollar is invested and where you want your money to have impact, whether it's renewable energy to disease eradication to clean water. That's kind of cool. So feel good about where your money is going. Visit swellinvesting.com slash skim to start investing with your values in mind. Do it today for a $50 bonus when you open an account. Again, that's swellinvesting.com slash skim, S-K-I-M-M, to start investing in progress. I'm excited for our our next uh, part of today's podcast, which is a live Q&A. So many of you um, submitted questions as you walked in the door today, and we are going to go through them. Rebecca, you were on the hot seat. What is an everyday routine that you can't live without? Right now, so much coffee. So much matcha and coffee. I figured out like if I like really get hyped up on caffeine, um, I, as I said, I have a 11 month old and I've chosen to let him sleep next to me, which means I'm up. I'm an all night buffet right now. So coffee is my (laughs) coffee is my (laughs) go-to. What is your favorite book to recommend for female inspiration? I'm going to be honest. I have not read a book. (laughs) In about five years. You know what your next book is going to be? It's by The Skim. <laughs> yes, and it's coming out in June. You can pre-order today. Skim.com slash book. I might be getting it. Um, yes. Time to... My husband said if I wasn't on Instagram so much that I actually would read a book. And I'm like, it's for work, okay? It's for work. I love this question. What was your most badass moment so far in your career? So when we uh, took our runway to the streets, it was our See By Wear show. So that was also... People told us we were stupid for doing that. That was in 2017. But we thought that if you see something on a runway show or on someone's feed, you should be able to buy it. Um, And so we were the first brand to sort of dive into that. And then we went one notch crazier and uh, forced our way onto closing down Green Street and invited 5,000 people to come. Um, And so just prior to the runway show happening, there was a terrorist attack. And I woke up thinking, I can't just have a runway show. This is so awful. What's happening at you know, in our world. So we partnered with a female graffiti artist. She did all these incredible messages on the back of leather jackets. And uh, we were auctioning all those jackets off for charity, 22 of them. And when the models did their last walk and influencers did their last walk and they all turned around and the crowd could see the messages, there was just this roar of relief, excitement, happiness that it just, this just wasn't a show. And then when I came out and I have pictures of like, 5,000 people in the audience and everyone's just like this collective united energy. That is a moment I'll never forget. As a woman, it's sometimes hard to work with other women. What is your best advice for fostering a supportive working relationship with other women? This was submitted by Caitlin. So I think that um, in being an environment, there's 89 of us and 80 of us are women. There's different dynamics that occur with women uh, predominantly women-owned companies that don't occur when it's mixed or the other the other way. And there's a lot of 
political chessboarding. There's a lot of throwing women under the bus. And it's unfortunate because there are enough seats at the table. So I am always wanting to ensure that like you can be nice, you can help another woman. This is not a popularity contest. Um, and I think it needs to start, you know, in elementary schools with girls not just doing ballet, but like can we be on soccer teams and learn how to work as a team? And that if there if you don't feel there is two seats at the table, like damn it, drag another seat up um, and advocate for someone when they're not in the room. Um, and that's one way we can start because it won't change if we're all gossiping about each other and you know trying to kick the other one to the curb. Um, it has to change with us and, and us fostering a community where it's of help, of tolerance. Um, not everybody's perfect. Um, so to really just support each other. For Rebecca, what advice do you have for anyone trying to make it in fashion? From Amanda. Um, Amanda, I think it's really important you find the white space. Why is your product the best? Even if it's a white shirt, why is it the best white shirt? Um, really rely on your network of who you know of six degrees of separation because you know someone or someone knows someone that can help you and figure out, you know, strategically what your steps are, even if it's just to get into one store, what are those small little things you can do just to achieve one goal? And, and obviously you have the five-year plan, but like really focus on these small milestones that can really help change the game. Thank you guys for submitting the questions. Now it's time for our favorite and last segment, which is the lightning round. Uh, so uh, we're going to ask you questions. You answer as fast as you can. Okay. Ready? Yep. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? A dancer. College major. Didn't go to college. First job. Babysitter. Worst job. Ice cream scooper. Same. <laughs> Same. The there's like a tunnel. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's then real. there's like this fudge that doesn't leave your arm after you've taken a shower. <laughs> Worst professional mistake you've ever made. Ooh. Okay, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this one. Um, but... When there was the rise of these online sales websites, we were one of the first brands to do them. I'm not going to say the site. And they came to us and we were four people and they're like, yeah, so we'll sell your product at half off and it's a flash sale. And I was like, oh, I'm going to inflate the numbers of our wholesale prices so that we get a better margin because no one knows who this site is. And then... um they got called out in the Wall Street Journal about uh, their inflated prices, and it was like really terrible, and it was all my fault. And I had to apologize for embarrassing them very publicly. That's not a good. That's not a, that's no, a good mistake. No, my, my math skills really came in handy there. <laughs> First phone call when you get good news. Um, I probably call my husband. First phone call when you get bad news. Depending on the news, my mom. One thing that I've been dying to know talking to you, one word to describe what it feels like to walk out at the end of the show, fashion show. Uh, really, really proud and exhilarated. I think, you know, when you do have a show, it's not just um, a week of work. It's the culmination of eight months of work from concept to it being there. And so I think that when you've gone through all the, all the many different pieces of what it's like to have a show, um, when, when you walk out, that is the culmination of it. So just really proud for not just myself, but I have a whole team. I have 18, you know, people on the team, just on the design team that work to make all this happen. So but have you ever tripped? I've never tripped. Thank God. I'm going to knock on, but I've worn some bad shoes. Okay. Yeah. When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Um, well, we were talking about that in the room, um, two days ago and it's still not easy. 
Uh, so I just, I recommend it's like a muscle. You have to like really exercise it and don't second guess yourself. I, I did, but I'm just telling you, you shouldn't. <laughs> um, what's your go-to interview question? First and foremost, it's a firm handshake. Um, I hate wimpy handshakes and I like a look in the eye as they shake your hand. Um, and then if you're wearing a suit, like a corporate suit, then I'm like, she's not right for the brand. Uh, just because I feel like as you're coming in, you should know the brand you're going to be working for. It doesn't mean you have to buy Rebecca Minkoff head to toe, but you should sort of like evoke the ethos of who you want to work for. Um, and then just working hard and, you know, going out of your comfort zone. We don't like everyone to stay in their box necessarily at our company. So we want good ideas. And so those two questions, how do people know you're stressed at work? Uh, I probably get quiet and I do, apparently I do a lot of (sighs) (laughs) that. Um, What drives you? Um, I would say I would have answered that differently five years ago, but being responsible for three humans um, really drives me. Not only just to like be able to afford three humans, but but also like leaving this place a better place for them. What is your shameless plug for today's audience and listeners? Ooh, I have three. (laughs) Um, Definitely follow us on the Female Founder Collective. Uh, Join if you are a female founder and you have a product. You don't have to be a certain size company. You just have to have a product or service ready to launch. We have some exciting International Women's Day plans that you'll be invited to. Special guests uh, will be attending. Um, so definitely join to hear about that. And I started a podcast too. It's called Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff. So download, rate, subscribe, and review. Um, but I feel lucky in that um, we used to do these fireside chats at our store. And I get to interview women like Carly and Danielle and uh, real luminaries uh, in different fields. And I wanted to be able to take that to a bigger audience. So uh, we launched the podcast in September. And it's great fun. It's raw. It's It's, um, you know, you don't come away with that being like, I'll never be that. Uh, Hopefully it inspires you. So that's my second. And then if you need a bag, you know where to go. Thank you so much. And thank thank you. you guys. We really appreciate you all coming this morning. Thank you. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Before we go, if you follow The Skim, you know we love books. So we're trying something new. We thought we'd take a second to share what we're reading with you. This week, we are shouting out our friend Rashma Sujani's book called Brave Not Perfect. As girls, we are often taught that we have to appear perfect at every second. But Reshma argues that we ought to choose bravery instead. By the way, we actually spoke to Reshma way back when we first launched this podcast. So you can listen to that episode. Then go get Brave Not Perfect, which is out now. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. 